Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mayan, nanonood ka ba ng PBB? <laughs> um, sige, aaminin ko, oo. <laughs> Kinakahiyaan nyo. <laughs> pero, pero Mayan, nalala mo yung episode nila na ano, yung, yung Majoha? <laughs> ko, oo, alam na alam ko yung episode na yan. ba? Diba, yan yung ano, episode na kung saan tinanong yung mga contestants na sina Mariano Gomez, Jose Burgos, at Jacinto Zamora ay mas kilala sa tawag na... Majoha! <laughs> Sorry, Mayan, ah. Hindi ko talaga mapigilang matawa pag naririnig ko yung clip na yan. Kasi nung grade school ako, nagpadre Gomez ako, eh, para sa human diorama sa Buwan ng Wika. Ngayon, naisip ko, parang mas gusto ko yung term na Majoha. <laughs> <laughs> o nga, no? Parang mas Gen Z ang Majoha kaysa sa Gomburza. <laughs> Pero, Jeff, nakakatawa man yan. I think this implies a rather scary reality na ang kalidad ng edukasyon ay bumababa. Actually, tama ka eh. It's worrisome kasi nga, marami itong kaakibat na problema. Kaya naman sa episode na ito, pag-uusapan natin kung bumababa na nga ba ang kalidad ng edukasyon sa bansa. At hindi lang yan, sa tulong ng mga eksperto sa education research, tatalakayin din natin kung bakit nga ba ito bumababa at ano ang mga maaari nating magawa upang maibsan ang problema ng ito. Ako si Mayan Vital at ako naman si Jeff Arapok. At welcome sa Usapang Econ Podcast. Ang Usapang Econ Podcast ay proyekto ng mga batang ekonomista na naglalayong gawing mas fun, relatable, and understandable ang economics. This episode is sponsored by Open Society Foundations, the world's largest private funder working to build vibrant and inclusive democracies and powered by Puma Podcast. Mayen, tiba kanina nabanggit mo na parang bumababa ang kalidad ng education sa Philippines. Siyempre bilang mga ekonomista, hindi naman sapat na batayan yung Majoha video, di ba, para sa maklaim natin na ganun nga. Yes, Jeff, tama ka. In fact, mas masasabi nga natin yung mga ganyang videos are mere symptoms lamang ng mga problema. Sa katunayan, marami ng research evidence na nagpapatunay na merong lumalalang learning crisis sa bansa. Or in simpler words, ito ay ang problema kung saan ang pag-aaral sa eskwela ay hindi nagtatranslate sa pagkatuto. Oh, I see. So, Mayed, ang ibig sabihin mo ba, parang hindi nagmamatch yung haba ng taon na ipinapasok ng isang average person sa school sa natututunan niya? Yep. So, parang ka palang nagsasayang ng oras at effort. Pero, curious ako, Mayen, papaano napatunayan na meron nga tayong learning crisis? Okay, ganito yan, Jeff. It's a very complex analysis. Para masagot ko yan, pag-usapan muna natin kung ano ang ideal or standard situation. 
Kasi di ba, nag-aaral tayo para makuha ang knowledge and skills na makakatulong sa atin sa pagtrabaho in the future. So, ibig sabihin, sa bawat grade or level natin sa school, meron tayong expected goals or learning outcomes. Halimbawa nito, by age 10 or pag 10 years old ka na, dapat kaya nating mag-multiply at mag-divide ng malalaking numbers o dapat kaya na natin intindihin ang mga nababasa natin. Counted ba pag by age 10, marunong ka na magmahal? Joke! <laughs> Pero kidding aside, tama ka naman dyan. Kaya nga meron tayong mga tests at saka quizzes to ensure na natututo nga tayo. So it only means may ideal or standard skills and knowledge na dapat nakukuha na ng mga estudyante after each level. Pero kamusta ba Mayen? Kamusta yung Pilipinas pagdating dito? Unfortunately, Jeff, masyadong malayo sa world standard ang performance ng mga bata sa Pilipinas. Ayon sa isang pag-aaral ng World Bank, by age 10, dapat kaya nang maintindihan ng mga estudyante ang maiksi at age-appropriate na babasahin. Pero sa Pilipinas, 90% ng mga batang 10 years old na pumapasok sa eskwela ang marunong magbasa pero hindi nila naiintindihan ang binabasa nila. Ah, uh, parang nabasa ko nga yung report na yan. Pero para lang makompare natin yung situation natin sa ibang bansa, ang Vietnam ay nakapagtala lang ng 18%, samantalang ang Indonesia naman ay nasa 53%. Diba? Parang ang laki masyado sa Pilipinas, kumbaga 9 out of 10 na bata ang kaya bumasa, pero pag pina-explain mo na yung binasa nila, eh, nga nga. Isa lang yan sa mga examples na nagpapatunay na merong learning crisis sa bansa. Heto si Ios Trinidad, isang Pinoy na doctoral researcher sa University of Chicago, upang magbigay pa ng example at explanation tungkol dito. I think there are two aspects of the learning crisis. One is in comparison to other countries. Uh, the other is in comparison to each other, like within the Philippines. In the 2018 PISA and the 2019 Trends in International Math and Science Study, we see that the performance of Filipino students, whether these are 15-year-olds or those who are in elementary, are lagging behind other countries. Ang PISA, or ang Program for International Student Assessment, ay isang standardized test na nagme-measure ng abilidad sa reading, mathematics, and science ng mga batang nasa 15 years old. Ang teams naman o ang Trends in International Mathematics and Science Study ay isang international assessment ng kakayahan sa math and science ng mga estudyanteng nasa 4th and 8th grade. So for example, we're the lowest in reading and the second lowest in math and science in PISA in 2018. Uh, we're also the lowest in math and science uh, in TIMS or the Trends in International Math and Science Study. So this is not to say that we're the lowest in the world, but it does tell you that we're the lowest among those participating. And we're in a way lower than uh, Pakistan, Kosovo, the Dominican Republic, and Lebanon. The second thing that these studies can point to is how dispersed are the learning outcomes of the students within the Philippines. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting when I was studying the PISA was that within the country, there are certain students and there are certain schools that perform almost similar as Singapore, as people in Shanghai. And these individuals are really performing very, very well. 
But then there are people in a greater majority who are performing very, very poorly. And so it's also within our country the wide disparities across people studying in different uh, schools and with different opportunities to learn. Ang interesting, no? Ngayon, ang tanong naman, kailan kaya nagsimula yung learning crisis na to? Magandang tanong yan, Jeff. Heto naman si Carol Markey, isa ring Pinoy na doctoral researcher sa University of Cambridge naman. Tinanong natin siya kung bumababa ba o nagde-decline ang kalidad ng edukasyon sa Pilipinas. And he gave an interesting response. I don't think there's a decline. I think that it's always been bad. Kasi we've always participated in all of these international assessments since the 1990s. And consistently, we have performed poorly or at the bottom of all of these rankings. And most of these results were actually the reasons why we pursued the reforms towards K-12 in 2011, 2012, in the legislation. That was the discussion. It revolved around that. It's also reflected in our national achievement tests, even in our own assessments, our students are doing poorly. So I think really, all of this clamor these days on improving quality of education and acknowledging a learning crisis is long overdue. And the question now is, what are we going to do to seriously reverse the trend in the coming years? Gusto ko yung sinabi ni Carol, pero bago natin sagutin yung tanong niya sa dulo, kung paano nga ba natin ito mapipigilan, siguro magandang himayin natin yung mga issues at isipin, eh ano ngayon kung may learning crisis? Kailangan ba talaga nating mabahala dito? Nakutama ka dyan, Jeff. Let's take a little break and afterwards, pag-usapan natin kung ano naman ang mangyayari kung hahayaan natin ang patuloy na paglaganap ng krisis. So, Mayen, ano nga ba yung mga negative effects kung hahayaan lang natin na lumala yung learning crisis sa bansa? Siguro, Jeff, magandang tingnan natin yan sa dalawang magkaibang angulo. Yung una, sa micro o sa mga individual, ano nga ba yung effect nito sa isang average na Pilipino? At yung pangalawa naman ay sa macro or kung ano ba ang masamang epekto nito sa ating ekonomiya. Sige, sige. Mag-start muna tayo sa micro-impacts niya. So, Mayen, for sure, meron itong epekto sa abilidad ng mga tao makahanap ng disenting trabaho. Tama ba ako? Tama ka dyan, Jeff. Based on research and interviews natin with experts, merong at least tatlong micro-impacts. Una, kapag ang bata ay hindi natututo ng maigi, lalo na sa foundational years or early years ng pag-aaral, umababa rin ang abilidad nila na makapagtapos sa pag-aaral. Heto muli si Carol. The most basic problem that it is it relates to is that if students cannot read, cannot write, cannot understand basic concepts in the primary years, there is no way they can get to higher levels of schooling. So no high school, no college completion. Meaning to say, if they're unable to succeed beyond the primary years, unable to transition to higher levels of schooling, walang mangyayari sa kanila. Hindi sila makakakuha ng maayos na trabaho na may disenting kita. Yun yung malaking punto doon. Naalala ko rin yung sinabi ni Eos tungkol sa mga inequality sa ating lipunan na nagpapalala ng mga issues ng pag-transition ng mga bata sa bawat grade level. Pakinggan natin siyang muli. If someone is able to gain um, English, for example, and there are particular steps that are important. 
For example, at third grade, you should be reading at grade level. And that developmental milestone is not achieved by everyone. And the achievement of that is not economically equal because certain people in the population are able to have speech pathologists or if, if someone has a developmental lag, they can hire someone. But then others, they don't even recognize that this person has a developmental lag. And so that's the first step. And then you move from that to uh, more higher order thinking skills that you should gain by sixth grade. And then you move from that to uh, high school graduation and then um, choosing like what track to, to take in senior high school. So all of these things, they compound in a way. And it's that compounding that is going to be really scary if you're disadvantaged from the start. Because if you're disadvantaged from the start, think of it as a race, your starting line is further back. It's not like we're changing what the finish line is. It's just that people start so far out that it's so hard for them to catch up. Okay, so ikalawang impact naman. Related ito dun sa unang nabanggit kong impact at ayon din sa sinabi ni Carol na kapag ang individual ay hindi nakapagtapos, nalilimit din ang oportunidad niya sa trabaho at sapat na sweldo. Diba, importante sa mga kumpanya yung mga skills or kapasidad. Eh, nasusukat ang mga ito sa level ng pagtatapos ng edukasyon. Kaya ito naman si Jason Alinsunurin isang associate professor of economics sa De La Salle University, Manila. May implication siya sa, for example, sa labor markets natin na ano yung mga skill set na magiging available sa ating mga manggagawa para sa kinabukasan in the future. Like may tinatawag na Industry 4 or tinatawag na Fourth Industrial Revolution na maraming mga trabaho na in the next 5 or 10 years na hindi pa prepared ang labor market. At kapag hindi properly trained or skilled ang ating mga kapwa, mamamayan, para dito, marami sa kanila, they would find themselves in jobs or in occupations which do not necessarily pay well or pay a living wage, so to speak. At ikatlo ah, related din ito sa ikalawang impact. Nagiging limitado rin ng oportunidad para maiangat ang sarili nila sa kahirapan. Ganito kasi yan, Pag nakapag-aral ka, may mga additional na benefits kang nakukuha na higit sa kita, tulad ng social capital, at pati na rin ang life decisions. Heto muli si Jason. If you're going to look at the data, moderately correlated siya sa income sources. Kasi ano yun eh, parang yung test scores mo would proxy, to some extent, the decisions that you're going to make in the future. It will influence your financial literacy mo, yung, yung work decision choices, investment choices. So, kaya importante na mataas ang kalidad na nakukuha na edukasyon ng mga Pilipino para nakakagawa sila ng mas magandang desisyon para sa kanilang kinabukasan. Sabi naman ni Carol, So, the few who actually are discerning or who are aspiring for those top-level positions... It's also influenced by social background. No? They understand the value of going to a school of this level. They value or they understand what type of opportunities they get afterwards. So, I think dikit-dikit naman talaga yan eh. Grabe pala yung micro-impacts niya, no? Which brings us to the next angle, yung macro-impacts. 
Kasi kung sinasabi mo, Maya, na ganito yung impact niya sa mga tao in terms of opportunity sa trabaho, at kita, at social capital, ibig sabihin pala, no, pwede nitong mapalala yung gap o distansya ng mahihirap at mayayaman. Sad to say, pero oo. Napapalala nito ang inequality o ang pagkakaiba ng mahihirap sa mayayaman. Tulad nung nabanggit ni Iyos kanina, Nagpapatong-patong kasi ang mga advantages at disadvantages. Kumbaga, ang mga mayaman ay lalong nadadagdagan ng opportunities at yaman, tapos yung mga mahirap naman, lalong nababawasan ng mga ito. Hindi lang yan, may tinatawag din tayong intergenerational poverty. Ito yung namamana ng susunod na henerasyon ang kahirapan. Ngayon, dahil may mga non-economist listeners tayo, can you expound on the concept of intergenerational poverty? Okay, so ganito yan. Uh, halimbawa, merong mag-asawa na hindi nakapagtapos ng elementary. Nahihirapan sila na makahanap ng trabaho na sapat ang kita at sila ay makaklasify na below the poverty line. FYI sa mga listeners, ang poverty line ay ang minimum amount na kita na kailangan ng isang pamilya bawat buwan upang makamit ang kanilang basic food and non-food requirements. Ayon sa Philippine Statistics Authority, 2,416 pesos ang kailangan ng isang tao bawat buwan. Kung ang kaya mong gastusin ay mas mababa pa dyan, ikaw ay below the poverty line. Okay, so yon alam natin, di ba, kung ano yung poverty line. Okay, balik tayo dun sa halimbawa ko na yung mag-asawa na below the poverty line, tapos nagkaanak sila. May malaking tsansa na pati ang mga anak nila ay hindi rin makakapagkamit ng mataas na level ng edukasyon. At ang mga anak na ito, dahil sa pagpatong-patong ng disadvantages, ay maaaring maging mahirap or below the poverty line paglaki nila. Tapos, pati na rin ang kanilang magiging pamilya. So, ayun na nga. Sa Mexican telenovela lang po talaga madaling makaahon sa kahirapan. Pasalanan ito talaga ni Talie, no? <laughs> Pero kidding aside, after hearing all the points na ni-raise nyo nila, Ayos, Jason, and Carol, one thing is for sure. Kailangan talaga nating mabahala sa lumalalang learning crisis na to, no? Yes, Jeff. At bukod sa kailangan nating mabahala, the government should be taking necessary actions para maresolba ang problema bago pa maging huli ang lahat. So, Mayan, ano-ano nga ba yung maaaring magawa ng gobyerno para maibsan ang lumalalang learning crisis sa bansa? Ang hirap sagutin ang question mo, ah. Parang pang-pageant. <laughs> Okay, uh, don't get me wrong ha, mahirap siya sagutin. Hindi dahil sa walang pwedeng magawa, pero kasi maraming factors ang kailangan consider para masolusyonan ang problema ng ito. Magsimula tayo sa supply side na kung saan natatalakay ang education system tulad ng infrastruktura, teachers, school supplies at iba pa. Heto muli si Jason. Obvious naman na nung in the last 30 years, talagang kulang ang resources ng educational system. Kulang ang classroom, kulang ang teachers, maraming mga resources or mga support systems na hindi pa available sa ating mga paaralan. So, doon nag-concentrate ang ating mga polisiya. Input-based policies and kalamihan ng pag-aaral, meron tinatawag ng mga education production functions na defined to determine na anong mga school-based inputs would immediately influence yung mga outcomes such as test scores. So obviously, kailangan ng investment sa mga education inputs. 
Pero gusto ko rin yung sinabi ni Ayers tungkol dito. Here's the paradox here. Putting in more money will not improve education. But if you want to improve education, you need to put in money. What do I mean by that? It's not that you put in more money, it's how you spend that money. Out of all these inputs, yung may malaking role na ginagampanan ay yung mga teachers. Pero maraming aspeto din ang kailangang i-consider eh. Tulad ng pag-hire ng teachers, tapos kung paano sila i-distribute sa buong bansa, at kung paano maiangat ang kalidad ng kanilang pagtuturo. Correct. May sinabi si Ayos tungkol sa hiring at distribution ng teachers eh. We don't have a shortage of teachers. There are so many teachers applying to jobs or to, to posts. Now, the thing is, certain places have more spaces while certain places have less applicants. So there's a supply and demand there. You have two ways or at least two ways of working on the su- supply and demand problem. One is information. The other is incentives. So you provide more information of where the shortages are, uh, but then we don't have a centralized system for that information. And number two is you provide incentives for people to move or relocate themselves to particular other places. Of course, the competition is like greater within certain metropolitan areas because of certain conveniences that come with being in a metropolitan area. And we can't really cajole individuals into working in a particular locality. Now, one way of bypassing this, and I don't know how how this will pan out, is if you have a centralized system for hiring teachers, such that teachers become mobile. But that's gonna be a nightmare in terms of you know, you know, Maya, you applied to the central office. You live in let's say Quezon City, but then you were assigned to Cebu, where you don't know a soul there. So that's one way of doing it, but it's almost politically and even just realistically infeasible. Hindi lang yan. Yung quality of teachers din talaga ang kailangan pagtuunan ng pansin. Heto muli si Carol and his thoughts on teacher education in the country. I always say this, that teaching is a profession. A profession is something like medicine. Bago ka makaabot sa isang antas ng paggagamot, meron kang internship, may clerkship, may residency, sometimes may fellowships, may specialization. Patuloy yung pagkatuto and learning is done by doing. You are mentored, you practice a lot, tapos you get supervision from your seniors who are more learned or trained than you. That's not the case yet in how we teach teacher education. Sa atin, karamihan ng teacher education programs nangyayari by the book inside the classroom where they are the students. In terms of them being able to practice teaching, kukonti pa lang yun. In the best performing education systems in the world, such as Finland and Singapore, First year pa lang, meron na silang practice teaching. All the way until fourth year. Sa atin, yung units na required for teaching is only 12 units or half a semester in an average university semester. Kukunti yan kumpara sa naginagawa sa lahat ng ibang bansa na talagang maayos yung pagtuturo. So, kailangan pa natin talaga siyang pagtuunan ng pansin. May sinabi din si Jason about continuing professional development o CPD. Ngayon, makikita natin ang teacher training, yung mga napakamalaking training na daan-daan ng mga teachers ang umaaten sa mga seminar, mga CPDs. 
pero hindi siya necessarily nagtatranslate into the improvement of teaching quality. Kasi ito ay mga massive trainings on Facebook or mga massive conferences. Very small proportion lang ang napupunta dito sa kanilang professional development. Pero ito yung may mga points eh. Pero it doesn't necessarily mean na yung transformative siya sa teaching strategies. So, nakikita natin to I think, hindi lang to sa teaching profession. Pero quite evident siya sa teaching profession. Pumupunta lang sila sa mga training na to kasi may points doon. Pero not necessarily, ito yung kailangan nila para umunlad ang kanilang pagtuturo. In other words, marami pang improvements na pwedeng gawin para ma-insure na ang training ay base sa pangailangan ng mga teachers. Hindi lamang sa pagtuturo o tinatawag nating pedagogy, pati na rin sa kaalaman nila tungkol sa subject o tinatawag na content knowledge. Ako bilang teacher ha, alam ko na kailangan ko yung mga training na yan. Pero sobrang nakakarelate ako dun sa pinagdadaan ng mga teachers ha, lalong-lalo na dun sa admin work. Kasi diba, bukod sa actual teaching and the preparations na kailangan mo, maraming other responsibilities. Tinanong namin si Carol tungkol sa mga government policies tungkol dito. And I think to your point no, about committees and all of that, which is one of the pronouncements of DepEd recently, which is so important and so long overdue, which is to reduce the admin burdens of teachers. Kasi how could they really do anything? How could they focus on their teaching? If mauubos yung oras nila sa kakasabit ng mga papeles na required ng birokrasya, at sa paghahandle ng mga committees, ng mga visits, ng mga all of these things, paggawa ng props, I mean, we should focus on the essentials. And to begin with, they have so so much on their plate. We should remove all the extraneous things so that they can focus on the real teaching that is their real mission. Sa totoo lang, napakahirap talaga ng pagtuturo at sabayan mo pa ng pandemya. Grabe nga eh. Supply side pa lang pala to, no? Ang dami na agad kailangan pagtuon na ng pansin. Suguro, tignan naman natin ngayon yung demand side. Mayan, dahil nag-aral ka rin abroad, di ba very apparent yung difference sa motivation ng isang average person sa abroad compared sa Pilipinas, ha? Kung bakit sila nag-aaral, especially sa college. Alam mo, Jeff, may mga studies na nga rin about this, eh. Usually, in countries like the UK and Germany, ang pag-aaral ay para makakuha talaga ng skills na kailangan sa industriya na gusto niyang puntahan. Pero sa Pilipinas, parang ang pag-aaral ay for the sake of getting a diploma. May phenomenon tayo na tinatawag na diploma effects na mabibigyang linaw mula sa conversations natin with Carol and Jason. Pero sa atin, meron din yung usapin na whether or not it is because you're a graduate, because may diploma ka, or dahil marami kang natutunan, and this learning drives productivity. I think, well, people can contest this, but I think most of the studies point to the fact that it is because of the diploma. People pay more once you're in the labor market, if you're a college graduate, because you have that diploma. A few months ago or last year, may nag-viral na pure gold, yung pure gold na advertisement. Uh, actually, that was from my town, and suddenly nag-viral siya sa Facebook. Nakalagay, um, cashier, at least four years college education. And parang sabi ng mga, nag- mga taong nagko-comment, ah, sayang, four years lang. Ayon nyo pa ng master's uh, for those type of jobs. Which is true, no? Nakakatawa siya. Pero that is the reality today. Most of the occupations, most of the jobs available require a college degree. Sa totoo lang, wala naman ako nakikita ang mali na mapunta na sa isang trabaho 
medyo iba lang kasi yung perception talaga na maraming Filipino na, ah, titulado ka, may diploma ka ng kolehiyo pero napunta ka lang dito. Sa ibang bansa, wala lang problema kung sa tingin mo, ito yung trabaho mag-e-enjoy ako, ito yung trabaho. Sa tingin ko, malaki ang may tutulong ko sa kumpanya. No? I think ang, ang issue dito, kung tatanungin natin, so may mga ekonomista, para isa siyang malaking issue ng job mismatch. Na bakit nga ba nagkakaroon ng ganitong mga trabaho na ito yung mga inaral na skills. Pero yung skills na inaral ay hindi tugma sa inahanap na mga ID, mga, ito yung sana yung mga profesyon na pinupuntahan. So ibig sabihin pala, no, madaming mga tao ang gusto mag-college dahil gusto lang ng college diploma. Hindi dahil sa gusto nilang mag-specialize dun sa certain field na inaaral nila. True, at isa yan sa malaking problem sa demand side. Dahil motivation talaga yung isa sa mga roots ng problema na meron tayo sa labor market. Di ba nga may joke na mas mataas pa daw ang qualifications ng sales lady kaysa sa politiko? Pero Mayen, isa pang issue na dapat mabigyang pansin ay yung access to financial support. Sobrang nakakarelate ako dito bilang isa ako sa mga estudyante naging struggling starlet para lang makapagtapos. No? At hindi lang sapat na free tuition ha, kasi nga may iba pa naman talagang kaakibat na costs ang pag-aaral. Kasama na rin yung opportunity cost. Kasi di ba pwede ka na sanang mag-work kesa pumasok sa college. Nako Jeff, totoo yan. Kaya nga this leads to another important point. Kailangang intindihin at bigyan pansin yung mga complementary aspects na pwede makaapekto sa edukasyon. Pakinggan natin muli si Carol. Magkakadikit. Yung challenge of health, of nutrition, healthcare access. Kasi lahat yan, di ba? Yung threshold of poverty natin, talagang magkasakit sa pamilya, bagsak sa poverty. Magkaroon ng bagyo, bagsak sa poverty. Napaka-vulnerable ng napakaraming Pilipino. That education really also is affected by these shifts. Mahalaga, which is why I also wanted to point out the importance of Pantawid Pamilyang Pilipino Program. How it is so important because it, was actually, it is actually a package of supports that is holistic and what we need to do is to make sure that we are targeting properly and implementing properly um most of the challenges we have is we, we don't really monitor the and you guys know this because this is your area we don't have data because we don't monitor we don't monitor the progress of children as they progress through the education system we don't have variables on social origins that will allow us to really tease out what is happening to whom from basic ed, from early childhood, all the way to who graduates, what happens to them, who takes all these professional licensure examinations. We are blind to all of these things. So what we are trying to do through our research is really approximating. But in terms of the real variables that will really tell us this, we are still very lacking. And I think as scholars, as people in universities, this is something we need to constantly push for and work towards to work with the data that is existing to know as much as we can with what we have, but also to push for more data to be collected because and otherwise we remain blind. Gusto ko yung sinabi ni Carol, ha? napaka-importante talaga ng social protection. Correct! Kaya naman yan ang susunod na topic natin sa Usapang Econ Podcast. Ang dami kong takeaway from today's discussion, Mayan, ha? Grabe pala yung dimensions ng problema natin sa education, no? Mas malala pa sa mga plot ng teleseryo nung 90s. <laughs> Pero seriously speaking, hindi pala sapat na mag-provide lang ng free education, no? Totoo yun, Jeff. Hindi lang talaga sapat na may access to education. 
mas mainam ang equal access to learning. Kasi pag equal access to learning, ibig sabihin lahat, mahirap man o mayaman, ay kayang makakamit ng kalidad na edukasyon upang ma-improve ang kanilang quality of life, pati na rin ang ating ekonomiya. Muli ako si Mayan Vital at ako naman si Jeff Arapok. You've been listening to the Usapang Econ Podcast powered by Puma Podcast. I-follow ang Usapang Econ Podcast sa Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Sundan nyo rin kami sa aming blog sa usapangecon.com. I-like and i-follow nyo rin kami sa Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at LinkedIn. Maaari rin kayong mag-subscribe sa aming YouTube channel. Salamat sa audio editor ng episode na ito na si Joe Salcedo at sa producer namin na si Macy Hoven. Salamat din kay Carol Marquee, Ios Trinidad, at Jason Alinsunurin sa Panayam. Kung nagustuhan nyo ang episode na ito, please share it with a friend. Dahil ang economics ay para sa lahat. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.